Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. It's challenging, he said. It is what it is, isn't it? I can't change the demographics. They've just got way more rugby players, way more earning potential in terms of the money. Nothing changes that. It would be like taking any other job and saying, oh God, I'm always demoralized because so-and-so has got more money. You just get on with the job, don't you? Not my words, listeners, but those are the words of Dan McFarlane after Ulster were beaten handily enough in a dour game in the rain on Saturday. Um, so Leinster are the favourites to win the European Cup because of the population of Dublin, is that right? I think it's worth, before we get to that question, to deal with that quote because Leo Cullen also exhibited the same. So they did a, they did a uh, programme on Paul Howard stroke Russell Carroll Kelly a number of years ago in RTE and they had a professor from the US talk about how he so accurately captured the cadences, the rhythms, the, the the linguistic quirks of speech in Dublin throughout, you know, of a small part of Dublin, throughout a period of like 15 to 20 years. And said how difficult it is to do. So since Andy Farrell has taken to answering every question with another question, uh, both Leo Cullen and Dan McFarland have, <laughs> have also acquired the habit because isn't it? Wasn't it? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why don't you address the real question instead of answering my question with a question, please? <laughs> Won't I? Um, yeah, well, that just makes Steve Borthwick look even worse. Like, Ireland have far fewer players than England. Uh, they've less money than England. Um, they've got two native field sports that win, in win, mm, kind of winter sports with the way that the, the season goes that uh, take most of the best ball players stroke athletes out of circulation. So what? Like it, it's okay to not win the Grand Slam ever. It's okay to be not competitive at all. It, Steve Borthwick looks absolutely dreadful. Like they're all factors, but like it doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't work like that either um and i think it's a bit dismissive of the job that's been done at leinster so it's not completely false but it's not the whole story let's take <laughs> <laughs> let's take as an example then two players on the edges of the ireland squad playing in the same position jordan larmer and Robert Balakoon, uh, in that game, as a, as a microcosm of the way they're playing, Robert Balakoon play, just played no part in the game at all. And it was obviously not a day for passing out to the wings, but 
the Irish team in the Six Nations and in the Tour of New Zealand, you saw the impact that the wingers are having coming in, into the game and being playmakers and coming and looking for the ball. And you see that Jordan Larmer has, in recent months, he's broadened his game to try and like become the kind of player that Leinster and Ireland want, rather than just be like, I'm a jinker. He's coming and looking for work and then gone, this is the thing I add when I come and do the work. Whereas, and then another a point of comparison again with Robert Balakin, just because I don't mean to kick him when he's down because I just thought he was there, just wasn't in the game at all, was that Jacob Stockdale, who did get named in the Irish squad for the Six Nations, in the extended squad, I should say, at the start, although he didn't play, obviously, uh, he did try and come and get involved in the game and he did make an impact. He set up, or he made the bust that set up the, the Ulster try in the game. Yeah, and he chased the ball and he won balls in the air and he's he's got a kicking game. Um that Ulster didn't get the full benefit of. And Larmer just works so hard and that and that's that's there throughout the, the Leinster team. But to like his willingness to chase, his willingness to go for block downs or to to chase lost causes and then make a tackle um completely unglamorous stuff and it just wasn't a match for him at all and it, you know it would be easy to cite the conditions and then just say it wasn't day for wingers ball's never going to get to you too slippy um wait until there's a dry track and i i think it's along the same lines because it's it's an excuse and it's and there's there's large elements of truth in it but it's it's an out clause, you know, which is the point of of an excuse. Whereas, um, I think it, I think it makes Larmer's performance all the more laudable that he 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 was prepared to just compete, and he's not the only one. Like all the Leinster guys are prepared to play different games, and they put the team first. And there's guys in there like you go back. We keep on talking about Hugo Keenan that he didn't look anything special as an underage player. And he's, to my mind, he's the epitome of Leinster in that he's a guy who is an absolute copper-fast international. When he, like he's won the Grand Slam. He's won a series in New Zealand. When he retires, he'll be considered as one of the great Ireland fullbacks. And when he started getting picked for Ireland, it was on the wing. And when he started getting picked for fullback, you'd think, oh, this is a stopgap until like someone better comes along because there must be better than this small skinny guy who's not that quick and there isn't and he's just got better and better and um you can i don't know like maybe it's it's too easy to be dismissive because like he's he's not six foot three or six foot four but again like he's he is a guy who is just works so hard does everything right, concentrates on it. And like I say, he's the epitome of Leinster. Now, there's there's still guys like Andrew Porter, who's an absolute physical phenomenon, and Keane Healy, who's an absolute physical phenomenon, who, like, which one is, like, the precursor to Andrew Porter, which one is Keane Healy 2.0? And there's no other way to paint their physical abilities other than God-given, but they work really hard as well. So, I... I think McFarland's quote is kind of dismissive of the work that Leinster have done as players and as coaches. Yeah, and as you said before, it's it's very defeatist. It gives your team, he's, 
you know, he's not the CEO of the organization, but he is basically the in, in an awful lot of people's eyes, an awful lot of watching people, their fans. He is the head man in the organization. And to, to speak like, to me anyway, it reads very, um, it gives your players an out before they've even played. There's nothing they can do about demographics. You know, if we're beaten, well, it, had, it didn't have anything to do with, or it didn't have that much to do with me as a coach or you as players. It's just demographics. Uh, so I felt it was, I felt it was an unwise thing to say from him. Um, and I don't think it helps Ulster by saying that. It doesn't help Ulster because should Ulster never lose to Connacht? Should they never lose to Munster? Like, Belfast is the second biggest city on the island by quite some distance. And there's a very healthy schoolboy rugby uh, network in uh, with a lot of tradition that, that's really well funded in in the north. Um, the provincial clubs in the north have done very well in, in, in terms of the AAL, like Balnehinch and uh, City of Armagh. And like that, that's certainly more than like the bigger population than Munster. Uh, arguably, I don't know about fewer sports, like the same sports up there, but like just just a bigger population, certainly in the city, uh, which is like where the easiest to coordinate matches, training, all that sort of stuff, and certainly bigger than Connacht. So, uh, given that Ulster should be the number two team in Ireland, it's it doesn't make sense for Mike Farnett to draw attention to the fact that um, they're advantaged ahead of three and four. And like it, and it's difficult as a head coach because you say anything interesting, it just gets jumped on, and like your words get twisted. But we're not twisting his words not, here. We're though. not twisting his words, but like we're. It's just you're better off just sticking to anodyne, put on your Alan Shearer head, and just leave just leave nothing, no hostage to fortune. Yeah, or just talk about the match. Yeah, you know what happened. What do you have to try and do better? Um, so well, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Like, I'm sure McFarland is sick of the side of Leinster in particular. He's lost a lot of knockout games to them, but uh, like they came. They were closer than Leinster to winning the title last year, the league title last year. Like, Leinster were dead with the last play of the game. Like, they scored a try to make it a one-point game, but they were eight points down with a minute left. They were yeah. going for Ulster lost the last kick of the game against this bulldozer of a scrum against the Stormers, and then your man kicked a, a, tr- a touchline conversion. Away from home. Yeah, in South Africa. And they've gone and won in South Africa a couple of times, so, like, they could have beaten the Bulls as well. Like, they could have won the league last year. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not blaming my friend. I'm saying that uh, that's praise more like than. Yeah. Like, it's like he should he should be looking. He should be looking at what he's done and saying we can still do better than that, rather than go like we'll never be as good as those guys. Absolutely, and that's that's the same for. There's no point. Um, there's no point looking at other clubs and saying, oh, someone should make them worse <laughs> or. It's unfair. You can't change that. And if you think that the IRFU, for example, are going to, this is a slight sidebar, are going to start trying to change something, which has seen Irish rugby win test series in New Zealand and then win the Grand Slam and have the longest reign as a Northern Hemisphere team at number one and say, oh, we're, oh this is fundamentally broken. 
it's not fundamentally broken. It fundamentally works, you know, in terms of how the IRFU are looking at, at what's happening at the moment. So Dan McFarland, um, it it just doesn't help Ulster. What I, is I return to that to that phrase? His his concentration should be on making Ulster better, and ultimately, it's it's a, a in a one off game, fifteen versus fifteen slash twenty three versus twenty three, like Jesus, either side can win. It's not like it may seem at the moment like that um, Leinster's <laughs> successes or in these fixtures are inevitable or are going to continue because why wouldn't they? And for the reason why why wouldn't they? All you have to do is look at a very similar team in a similar setup in a different sport, which is the dubs under Jim Gavin. Like, it looked inevitable. There's an awful lot of talk slash whining about how they should break up the dubs, the dubs of all the advantages. Once Jim Gavin left, in a, like, he managed to turn over a team while winning. Then he left, and all of a sudden the team, essentially, you know, they stagger on for one additional All Ireland, and then essentially fall apart. You know, like did the demographics change from when Jim Gavin was uh, the coach to, <laughs> you know, and then what happened after he left? So there's a huge, there's a like demographics certainly play a part, of course. But so does coaching, plays a massive part, organization, uh, systems or culture, whichever way you want to say it. You know, I know that Gary Keegan prefers to talk about systems rather than culture. It's, um, you, can, you can say that they're two separate things or you can say that they're similar. And I, I, I guess what Leinster did very well was they used a kicking game at the weekend. Like they really targeted the Ulster back three. So you know that Robert Balakun doesn't have a kicking game so you can kick at him. You know that James Lowe can kick longer than Michael Lowry, so you kick at him. And you know that Lowry is, is likely to run the ball back. So you can kick at him and put on a hard chase and, and, and like try to get him. And in a match where the conditions are so slippy, it was really, really wet. Um, it's, it's all about territory. And particularly playing against a mall that's as good as Ulster's is that if, if you don't give them that, then... You've you've taken away their main, scoring. you've taken away their main scoring threats. So you're just going like, I can't remember when it was, but I think it was pretty early on in the game. I turned around to you and I just said like, this game is all about territory. Because uh, I couldn't believe how many penalties Leinster gave away in the first five minutes. But then again, they they reversed that. Like they 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 flipped the switch and they said right, like cut down the cut down the penalty count, because they were taking pressure off Ulster and then they were putting pressure on themselves by just giving away these penalties that allowed Ulster to kick up the sideline and have an opportunity to score. So I think the the tactics for Leinster were really well thought through. I think that you could argue that the conditions played to them, but then Leinster would 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 try to play, would would try to move the ball, would would try to get like guys running had a potent backline couldn't couldn't benefit from it and it, like it didn't slow them that much because they're just able to play well in more than one way which is the hallmark of a good team yeah in the last game at Lansdowne Road that Leinster played and um, which was against Racing uh, I think the back scored all the tries you know a number of them were from distance um, and in this game 
it was it, it was the I would say the inverse of that in terms of who dominated the team performance forwards to a man and Gibbo and Gibbo. and James Lowe but Gibbo did it with his kick and James Lowe did it with his kicking Gibbo obviously scored a try but like his his kicking was excellent and his kicking wasn't that good when he arrived so. no his kicking was shit when he arrived yeah like his kicking and his defense I remember when Gibbo arrived and he was he was a, a incredibly good open field runner actually if you recall his first couple of seasons uh his defense was really below average i would have said um and his kicking was terrible he's just turned himself into a far more rounded player and true you know he's been coached like he's been helped along the way but so much of it is a willingness to improve to play the game a different way than he had and he's uh, just been a huge success story as as a guy who, frankly, anybody could have signed. Like, this was a guy who was almost always a sub for Waikata, was never an all-black. Like, his market value wasn't that high when he signed, and now he's seen as, well, he'd be certainly a top-five scrum half in the world. You know, anybody could have signed James Lowe. Like, James Lowe wasn't an all-black. James Lowe was a sometime Maori, and... Um, like there's no doubt, you know, his improvement. The first thing you point to is his defensive abilities have improved incredibly in in two and a half, three years. But his kicking game, which was always a feature, is now such a strength. One of the best kickers in the world in terms of the his abilities, specifically clearing. But uh, the the length is also staggering. These are things these players have got better through coaching. And you know, being tasked with what can you do, how can you do it better, and then if you're poor at something, how can you make yourself not poor at it? So coaching is such a huge deal. Like you have to improve what you have. I remember Hugo Keenan playing for the Irish under-20s on the wing, a good Irish 20s team. The other winger was Terry Orgoy. Matthew Byrne, is it? Yeah. Yeah. They're quite similar in build, quite similar even in terms of how they look, like same hair colour, and you're going, at under-20 level, there wasn't that much between them. You know, I saw Hugo Keenan's first appearance for Leinster in Donnybrook as a as a winger in a pre-season friendly. And I was just thinking, I'm like, I don't like admit being I'm wrong, you know. I'd love if I proved wrong. I don't like being proved wrong. I remember just looking at Hugo Keenan going like, this guy, like, this guy's not going to make it. It's like, what is, I was surprised he was in the academy. And the fella's turned out to be one of the premier fullbacks in the world. And it's like, you know, and he's like, he spoke before about being on the under 14 Cs. Like, that's not normal for international rugby players. Uh, so the improvement that has come on and uh, that these guys have made to themselves and they've been helped along the way through their stints in the sub academy, the academy, but specifically with really good coaching uh, at senior level has been staggering and you like this is twofold firstly i'm saying how important coaching it is is uh which is absolutely true and secondly the amount of time you spend practicing versus the amount of time you spend playing competitive matches is dwarfed the lads are in the building i think from roughly nine to roughly three the building or the pitches so they're six hours a day in the lancer environment and then they play 80 minutes so they have like four days on during the week because obviously you play at a weekend. So you get a day off in midweek sometime. Like I, what did the maths? So six by 60 is 360 per day by four. 
1440. 1440. Yeah. You know, so the amount of time you spend training dwarfs the amount of time you spend playing. So the training environment is huge for player improvement. It's not like it's very simple to say such and such a player should move because you get game time. You're going, what the fuck else does he do for the other like move to a worse environment, a lower performing environment, and spend the majority of his time practicing there? So there's you know, that's a that's that's something which I I think about. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the, there's a craftsmanship to Leinster's performances, which the word that's been used an awful lot, maybe as Eddie Jones introduced it into the, the conversation about Ireland, is cohesion, saying that, oh, they have this cohesion because there's so many of them from Leinster. They're so used to playing with each other. And then Wigglesworth quoted it, you know, was, the, was the saying pretty much exactly... love bomb from Wigglesworth. pretty much exactly the same. And you find, I find myself using cohesion or cohesive about Leinster and thinking to myself, God, like, that slipped into mine. Like, I'm, I'm not even cons- considering the fact that this word has been introduced and been used about them so often. It just seems the most appropriate thing. And it's... I guess it's an, an acknowledgement of of how much they do work together, how much like it's it's a systematic thing. And again, it's it's some. I think there's an element of praise in it, but there's an element of it. Oh, it's almost you know it's this unfair advantage that they it's have. Machine like that, you know they 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 all went to school. <laughs> <laughs> what like? How, how how is this different? Um. And because, again, like it, it's sort of hidden in plain sight, that compared to what Leinster were in 2006 when they beat Toulouse in Toulouse and then got hammered by Munster in Lansdowne Road and how flaky Leinster were and how like their, their subarchy, their nickname, pejorative, was the Lady Boys and how they, how they couldn't get away from it. And you look at Leinster's performance and you go, it's, it's the craftsman. Like... This is the way that they approach the game. They just understand how to win rugby matches. Mm. And um, and they're able to execute it in so many different ways. And they never gave Ulster a sniff on Saturday. And you look at it and you go, geez, like, did they get it? Did they get out of top gear? And, you know, I got a text from a guy who I played most of my rugby with, or he was my out half for most of the matches I would have played. He was, he was only the guy, who, whatever, highest proportion out half. And he just goes, Jesus, like if Ross Byrne plays for Ireland, we're fucked in the World Cup. He's too slow. Like, I'm quicker than him. And you're kind of looking at it going, I'm afraid he's right. But I also looked at it and thought to myself, yeah, but Ross Byrne does everything he can do to the best of his abilities. Like, his his kicking is really good. And then yeah. Harry came on, and it just put in relief how tight Ross's kicking is. Because yeah. Harry's more talented, but you're just there going, it's too fucking loose. Like, his... Harry's first kick is 10 metres too far and there's no pressure on it. And you're there going, right, so like nothing nothing bad happened there. You didn't kick it straight out. You didn't shank it. But you haven't put any pressure on them. Whereas the rest of the Leinster game is almost ceaseless pressure. Yeah. Of putting the ball into awkward places, putting it to like people who don't want to get it, putting them into places they don't want to have it. And you know, Ross is able to as well, just if he if he makes an error, now he's able to just like brush it off. You know, if he missed a goal kick, a tricky goal kick from the right-hand side of the pitch, didn't, didn't phase him, didn't go into a shell. Sent his, 
uh, one of the restarts too long. Curious, um, but I didn't phase him. So um, he's like, it's it's one thing when like the sort of the machine, like the cohesive element is, is so, you know, Josh van der Fleer will be missing uh, almost certainly for the Leicester match, the World Player of the Year. Johnny Sexton's already missing. Last year's another World Player of the Year nominee and Leicester have the, the strength to, um, like that's, that's, Leicester shouldn't be worried about that. You're going, sorry, you're missing two out of the fucking four World Player of the Year nominees, including the winner. And you're saying you can brush it off. Like I would be far more, uh, pessimistic about the, being, being able to absorb those sort of losses. I think that's that's a, a big ask. Um, facing into like a match against against the English champions, who again, you know, like Borthwick said for for the English team who arrived in in Lansdowne Road for the last game of the Six Nations with a with a free swing or a free punch, so. Like that's what I'm sort of looking at now. The the next game, the Friday night game, uh, Leinster versus Leicester in in the RDS or sorry in in Lansdowne Road. Do you want to talk about that next, or do you want no, to talk? No, we'll about talk about it now. Like they're a team about pressure as well. I don't watch an awful lot of them, but um, what I do know about them is they don't play the ball in their own half. They play territory. They box kick a lot. Yeah. They, well, they they kick for distance. They kick. Uh, contestables uh, they have a very refined kicking game now their game when uh, their their premiership final last year against Saracens was was one of the worst games I've ever seen and like wouldn't say a nadir for rugby but at high level rugby it was a game with 100 kicks from hand more than 100 kicks from hand and it was a fucking tough watch I'd say a lot of people watched that and thought like if this is the way rugby is going uh, it's going to lose a lot of viewers. But so while Leicester may not kick 60 times against Leinster, they will kick 40 and they've got good kickers. You know, whether they go with um, Jimmy Goppert in the centre outside Pollard, like it gives them two out half style plays kickers. And they will kick, you know, they're, they're not going to be afraid to be boring, boring Leicester. Leicester can take a lot of heart from how good their pack is, even with the absence of Josh van der Fleer. Curious with uh, who he's who brings into place because Jack Conan got man of the match, has played very well in played very well in the last two matches of the Six Nations. Um, after probably disappointing himself against the Italians, where he he was given a start and you know didn't didn't do enough to to make it a to make it onto the starting team for the following match. Um, I thought Ryan Baird deserved to get the the man of the match. I thought that his um, his season's been excellent, where his his athletic ability is being fulfilled, really. Um, and he's, he's really involved throughout the game. Um, and then... So do you, and Scott Penny looks really good off the bench, really dynamic, uh, really quick, really skillful. And you sort of know like that that's what he's like most of the time when he plays. And now he's playing with better players. Now, I guess the, the question is, does he how fit is Will Connors? Like Will Connors hasn't started a match in ages. He's has been on the bench. He's a guy that I think will go to the World Cup. Or, you know, if he doesn't and he's not fit enough or he hasn't got back to the form, I think it'll be a 
bit of a disappointment for Ireland because of his defensive ability. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who he picks. Or does he move Keelan Doris to open side? And yeah. Go, I'm going to pick Baird, Conan. Doris and get your Doris best players in the pitch. And just get your best players in the pitch and go, you know, screw playing guys out of out of position. This is this is what's best for us. Yeah, like this may not be a game in which we need an out-and-out open side. Doris can fulfill a lot of the passing duties that Josh Rander-Fleer excels at. Not like uh, he's big engine, and it might be a game where you go, this, this will just we can we can play, you know, with with a like a second row slash blind side and two number eights. Like it's not unheard of. It would be unlike Leinster, but it does get a lot of talent and a lot of size on the pitch. Yeah. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. Some of the fans not happy with that. Uh, Graham Rangie was not making many excuses uh, after Munster got thumped by the Sharks. He said it was the hottest breakdown he'd ever seen. It's a funny game. Munster seemed to be getting a lot of stick after that because they did really fall apart. But at the same time, like losing 50-35 to the Sharks, it it feels a bit like, you know, those, they always have high-scoring games. It's... Not that conceding 50 points is good as well because they've conceded a lot of points in a couple of other games recently, uh, Glasgow and Clanetley, Scarlets. But I didn't think I didn't think it, it was as bad as many other people thought. It was a wild game. Yeah. Very loosely refereed by, by Wayne Barnes. It was kind of deadly. It was yeah. like a holiday game. It was, <laughs> it was like a beach game yeah, or something. Like, or like, a game from the 90s. Swimming pool and uh, water slides and you're kind of gone, this is like just... A terrible look for the world. The fact that like Northern Hemisphere guys are spending so long on a plane, you're going, is this really justifiable? And they're playing a match at the rugby stadium with the pool and water slides, and you're going, again, that's just because the heat. Like, like, it's just not really concerning. But you know, also pretty cool as well to watch. Like, it was it was deadly. So I kind of felt that the game was very characteristic, or had two really strong characteristics of Munster's recent matches. One is that they, Jesus, more than two, numerous characteristics. They really struggle against better players. So during the during the winter, like during the, kind of around the November break, heading into the Six Nations, Munster looked very good. Um, they looked like they were well coached, that they got their sort of a, attacking template figured out that they were very high scoring. But like when, when better players play against them, they really struggle. So when, when Davies came on at scrum half for the Scarlets, the Scarlets got immediately better and he caused Munster a shitload of trouble. Glasgow are really well coached. They're really coherent team. Um, they have an ambitious game that they're able to play. But they also had about four internationals coming back, five internationals maybe, mm-hmm. who had played for Scotland the previous weekend. And... Munster just couldn't cope with it. Like they just, they just don't have good enough players. Um, and then the Sharks had World Cup winners in Etzebeth, Am, who wasn't fit, Mabibi, Bam, Bongo, you know, blah blah. Bongo and Banambi and Sia Kalisi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to say. <laughs> you know, obviously, blah 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 for Sia Kalisi. Yeah, like the World <laughs> Cup winning captain. Um, and so that's one thing, and then just the looseness that's in Munster's game when 
they're willing to force passes and that's praiseworthy but also when it goes wrong it looks terribly sloppy because the ball's just bouncing around all the time and they haven't resourced rooks adequately and they seem to be really struggling with whose responsibility that is and I don't think it's a laziness from the players like if anything the players have showed a commendable willingness to work by the fact that they all look much fitter than they did last season we've commented on that so I don't think the players are lazy I just I don't think that the players understand what they're trying to do and I kind of think that the coaches don't really understand what they're trying to do. They understand the the, the gist of what they're trying to do. They, they, like they know what they want it to end up like doing. But rugby's tough because it's 15 guys on a pitch, it's whatever, 40-something guys on a squad and you don't know how quickly guys are picking up the message. So who do you pitch your message to? Do you pitch it to the guys who are getting it or the guys who don't get it? And invariably, you sort of have to pitch it to the guys, I won't say invariably, if you pitch it to the guys who aren't getting it, you have to dumb it down. Because if you do the alternative, you just you, you just leave guys behind. So you might have two or three guys who actually figure out what you want to do and you've got 12 guys who haven't a fucking clue. And understanding what that's like on your team takes a while. It takes a while to identify who's who, how quickly they're picking it up and how you can get your message across. And it really looks to me like Munster are struggling with that at the moment. Yeah, because like a lot of under-resourcing Rook's problem is players going into the shape that they want to play off of the next phase. So they're going into like the, you know, 1-2-2-1 or 2 plus 3 plus 2 or whatever it is. So they're going into that shape when the Rook is on and then they think the ball is is one secured and there might only be one Munster player in there. And then all of a sudden the Sharks go, well, fuck that. Let's knock this fellow over onto his arse and knock over the scrum half at the same time. And all of a sudden, your lads who are set out in your in your middle of the pitch pot are like, oh, well, I'm now 15 metres from the breakdown, which, well, I'm just looking at us losing it. So now I arrive late and look even fucking worse, <laughs> you know? So I think that happened a number of times. There's other simple... Murray Kins had a very good article where he called up guys who, who sort of might have been freelancing a little bit and just took took a charge on, and you're going. There's nobody with you. This is not. This is not. You're not in a either a tip in or a tip on position. You've just got a ball essentially from deep one out, and you've charged up, and the other lads are still backing up to get into their positions, and now you're isolated. Another element of it where like yeah, the, the box in the in the Sharks team are really good over the ball. Bongi is amazing over the ball. Ox and Shea is really good over the ball. So if you're not spot on like absolutely spot on to the top of your game and arriving quickly and hitting, you know, very low and very abrasively, those guys will win turnovers. There's other issues with regards to to discipline in terms of, you know, in a, when you're away from home, you will be penalised more often. Uh, so you have to be squeaky clean and you have to be very smart. And there was some, it was a, it was where Monster let themselves down. Like I felt, I felt it was a re- as I mentioned at the at the head of this. Like the Sharks were only penalised I think three times in the entire game. If you're penalised three times in the half, it's a low, it's a low penalty count. Penalised three times in the entire game is like I've rarely seen it. I recall it happening once when Wales beat England in a in a grandstand decider in Cardiff when the whole stadium was alive with noise. I think Wales only conceded like two pens in the game. And you're going. Yeah, it was it was a fairly one sided game, but it was one sided because because it's ref like that. And there's instances it never carries the same weight 
Every card's the same. You see something get penalised, you go, well, I can see how that's a penalty. And then if something doesn't get penalised, you can say, well, that should have been a penalty. It's not the fucking same. It didn't happen. It wasn't penalised. You know, so there's a number of instances where you could say that the Sharks, in their in their attack in the Rook, where came in at the side, or, you know, that they had, like, two players competing for the same ball on the ground. So who's the first and who's the second? Because you can't both be the first. But that was let go. And that's going to happen when you're away from home in, in, in knockout games. And, you know, the nature of, like, why you're away from home because you didn't qualify to get a home match. Um, I thought... <sighs> Like it was, it was, there were, when Munster came out at the, for the second half, they did look really, really tired already. You know, there is a big, when we, we, Leinster played the Sharks at home in the RDS, it was an incredibly physical match. If you recall how many players got injured, Leinster players got injured in that game. It was a real, it was played in a great game to be at, but absolutely ferocious. And I felt while Munster didn't lose as many players to injury, they still had took some huge hits. And obviously the heat was another element there, but... Soft pitch as well. Well, they just... The, the pitch was dreadful, yeah. But they looked fucked coming out for the second half, and they played fucked, you know, for the third quarter. You know, conceding like four tries in 17 minutes. And, and, and the, you know, the game... Like, it was, it was you know, 17, 14 and a half time. Uh, and then 17 minutes later, it's like, whatever, 50, 50, 14, or 40, 43, 14. You go, wow, that game got away quick. Things escalated there. Um, So, we, like, you know, some of their performances, when they had very big wins, or they had a huge win against the Ospreys uh, during the Six Nations. Like, the Ospreys put 13 players into the Welsh squad. None of them were released back. Whereas Munster don't have many players in the Irish squad. So Munster are able to play against Benetton in the start of the week before the Six Nations in Benetton. They had a, a 30 points to 40 win away from home. Benetton send a load of players to Italy. So it's a good win for Munster. They have, I think about eight of the players who played in the in the Heineken Cup second round then. Same with when they played the Ospreys. And the Ospreys guys, the... The financial situation of the players at that point oh, was absolutely dreadful. That yeah. was that was the nadir of it. Yeah, where those guys don't know if they're going to have jobs next year. Correct, and they're going down to Musgrave at a very low ebb, and they get ploughed. And and sometimes it seems that not sometimes regularly this season, it seems that every uh, win is is this can can be over. In the, in, the, in the wider context or the longer scheme, it's you're going, this is a real ma- marking point. You're going, no, man, it's just a fucking Six Nations win against a really understrength team. Um, so I feel that's happened for Munster, but I also feel that like that this isn't like an absolute nadir, like the way that losses in Europe, like when they lost against Stade Francais a number of years ago, maybe as many as six years ago, like they got fucking slaughtered at home. Going, this is a real black point for us. They're knocked out of Europe in the group stage. You know, like sometimes this this just fucking happens. You know, it's not that much of a nadir. Like it's the case with Munster would be, in my opinion, 
don't get fucking too up when you have a good win. Don't get too down when you have a, a loss because you're, you're like the pragmatic reality of it, you're not competing at the pointy end of either tournament this season. Yeah, and think teams have figured out how to play against them. They sort of figure out how Munster have played, like, you know, what's what's a good way of stopping them? People are prepared to compete against them in the rooks because maybe they were always resourcing rooks and you just didn't notice it because no one was going in against them. But now they've been analysed and you're going, right, well, the thing you have to do, like, throw two or three guys into every rook against them because yeah. chances are there won't be enough fellas there. So that's been figured out and there's just chickens coming home to roost like Stephen Ar- like talk about being I thought Killer was concussed when he scored his try he got up and you're just looking at it and you go nah he's just wrecked like he's, he's absolutely shattered um, and he's got another half to go and he's going oh man tough Stephen Archer's 36 he came on played 60-70 yeah. minutes like that's going to be tough you know Scannell has, has has never kicked on from when he was you know, from when he made his debut for Ireland, called in for Rory Best, um, you know, it, he hasn't developed as as you thought he might. And then you sort of go, but like, how realistic is that? It's not like every goose is going to be a swan. So, you, again, no, like you but can't you, blame, you know, I, I, you can't really blame him for that. It's just that it's obvious stuff like John Ryan and Cronin being let go. It's the stuff that you go, where's the marginal money gone? It's the... It's the lack of identification of a load of youth players. Like there's there's a load of stuff that isn't you. There's a load of stuff that we've talked about, and it's you're just seeing it now, and you're going, look, this this is where you're at, you know. Like it's no, it's quite predictable when you're saying lack of talent identification. We were talking about props earlier. I was thinking about James French before, uh, who was, I think we probably mentioned him. He was a, a multiple times Ireland schools shot put champion, uh, six foot one. 122 kilos, like a very big unit who was in uh, was in Bandon Grammar, I think, under uh, Regis Sonnes. Um, played he played for the Irish Twenties in all five games of the 2018 uh, under 26 nations. Uh, he started one against Scotland, and uh, alongside in the front row with him were Ronan Keller and Tom O'Toole. Uh, so French was in the Munster Academy for three years, got a development contract, and then was resigned to a two-year contract. He was let go from Munster, uh, I think last month, maybe in February, having played one game in his two seasons in the senior squad. The one game he played was against Wasps when nobody else was available because they were stuck there in COVID. And you're looking at this fella, you're going, this fella has phenomenal raw materials. Firstly, in terms of size. Secondly, in terms of explosive strength. Munster need props. They have they have two Munster born props under thirty four in their squad. It's Finney, which sorry, um, Josh Witcherly, and then Liam O'Connor, who's you know who's who's hardly ever played for Munster. He's he's been extended a number of times, a lot of injuries, but like an undersized prop at the best of times. You're going like this fella is sort of it's not picking on him but it's it's surprising that he has been extended as many times as he has and you know the other props come from you know Hawaii and South Africa and Leinster uh, so you're going like how can you not make something out of James French when you badly need to make something out of him like that's the that's the fucking job of the Munster Academy and the Munster professional setup 
It's like, you get a guy with these raw materials, you need to do something with it. it like, if he didn't want in, to come into, if he didn't want to play rugby or come into the academy, he wouldn't have. You know, if you didn't want him to sign a development deal, you needn't have offered him one. Then you just needn't have signed him an extension. And then you let him go early, cause, and you only played him once. Like, that's a thing which I don't understand how that happens. And it's it's a failure, which is like, I'm not saying he would change Munster's fortunes in that particular game, but there's there's elements of that which have come back to haunt him. Like there's a lack of development of players. So from the, say, under 20s team from like 2011 through to 2016, very few Munster players in them, very few Munster players of that age bracket in the Munster squad. Like they have this back, big big hole in the middle of the squad, which they've largely filled with players from outside Munster, like Haley, Frisch, I think Haley's 94, born 94, Frisch born 96, Fekatoa, um, Tyburn, Jean Klein. Like it's a lot, they try to make up, did Chris Farrell for a try to make up that middle ground with guys who are either, you know, project players or Irish qualified players. But it's, it's not something that you can reverse out of. You know, that, that damage is done. So when you inevitably, at, towards the end of their careers, players can't sustain a full season of excellence uh, or they're getting, you know, which, which I'm talking about, they can't play like, you know, 15 games at a very, very high level for Munster. Like the likes of Conor Murray, Peter Manny, Keith Earls, because they're like 34, 33, 34, like who are all Lions, Zebo. Like when when those guys who are now at really the end of their provincial careers, very either right at the end or close to the end, like the guys who are coming up from behind them, like they, there's that gap in the Munster squad, which is which is just there and you can't fix. Like that damage is done. Yeah, it's it's systematic, and it goes back to Keegan's choice of systems over culture. The culture kind of sounds like something that's happened. Sorry, something that happens to you. Whereas system is, no, you're in control of it. Yeah, it's art versus science. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then culture, like culture is habits. Culture is what you do every day. So it, it isn't as, as wishy-washy and as occasional as I made it sound like originally. But systems is, is purposeful. Like if, if you don't have a plan, you have a plan. It's, it's, it, it's that sort of uh, aff- aphorism. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just, just coming home to roost. So I think, you know, it looks bad for Roundtree, it looks bad for Prendergast, but, you know, that that's just the tide. That That's the way the monster is gone. And like, I think Roundtree's probably the right guy for the I job. I think Roundtree's the right guy for the job. And I think and that... I think I, Prendergast has actually done a pretty good job yeah. with their attack. And, and I think that their underage, like the fellas that they had in the 20s, look very, very good. Yeah. And, and the likes of... Um, Crowley, Edwin, a dog bow. Tom Ahern, these guys are going to be good players, but all the same, they're going to be good players. Like they are good players, but like expecting them to right the ship immediately and all, I'm just going to throw in a bunch of lads in their early 20s and everything's going to be good. It's not, no, you still, need, you still need the top end at 30 to 34, the 25 to 29 and the 20 to 24. You need bits from each of those 
age grades. And those guys groups. have to work really hard. They have to be willing to work on their weaknesses. They have to be willing. They have to be learn how to play well in different ways. They, they, you know, they have to be like the Crusaders. They have to be like Leinster. They, they, they have to be... They're the two teams that spring to mind. Yeah. And, you know, Birch has been saying they need investment in your own world. Every, every team gets better if you can get, like, an additional, you know, World Cup winner in it. But, like, how, how does, how does, like, I don't see that solving the problem. They did that when they were in a much stronger position, age group-wise, about three years ago, by getting in Snyman and Dialende in what would, would have been a very sort of good... Snyman's a great example. Yeah, you know, it doesn't automatically... Like, there's, there's no guarantees. So Snyman is, you get your investment, you spend it on a World Cup winning second row, tight five forward. Monster. Um, who's a ball handler, who is a really good personality, looks like it anyway. Yeah. And you go, like, what can possibly go wrong? And he gets injured for two seasons with his knee. And yeah. you go, look, this, this is the icing. This does not fundamentally fix your scouting, your training, your... Uh, habits of your players it, it doesn't address the peak guys in your squad it doesn't address the the middle level guys in your squad it doesn't mean that you're carrying too many players or you can't identify enough players like it doesn't fix any of that it's yeah. just it's a nice to have and it's it's not the only way to invest your money but look this there's a case of of what happens yeah so i I guess for Munster, they're in a very difficult situation for the remainder of the season. And this is something that you talked about, this kind of recency bias that most people have. Um, they're in a difficult place going into the season. This, <laughs> like, this isn't you. This is, this is really just a manifestation of where Munster were at. They're in better shape now than they were at the beginning of the season, is my opinion. Oh, 100%. Point. And then at, or at and this at, point last season, when they were like... Or at this point last Van season. Gran was announced to go, and everyone was just like, we just get rid of him now, because this is just winding down. And now they're in the, like, whatever, two-thirds of the way through the difficult first season where you're making loads of changes to the way, the way you play. You're still running up against the same, like, structural limitations that you had of last season. And you're going... This is still you're still in the pains segment. Like yeah. you have to do all the hard work still. Like or like the hard work has started. There's still loads more of it to go. You're the you're only part of the way up the hill. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you, you know you might you might have come out of the trough, but you're still low down on the graph. And now I think they've made no sorry just to cut across you. They've made an important appointment of putting in Costello as a sort of oversight of getting monster to you know produce players and play players and and ho hopefully uh from the irish point of view that monster start producing more players who can play at the international level yeah and speaking like one of those um because we couldn't do the podcast last week after the glasgow match and I'd say it's probably the most disappointing sight that I see. You obviously hate to see guys get injured, but there was um, Clive James wrote, he wrote a number of memoirs, but his, his, first, his first memoir is called Unreliable Memoirs, and it's a superb book, and it chronicles his time growing up in Australia, in, in, in Sydney in particular. 
um, through a number of stories which may or may not be true, but probably have some <laughs> kernel of um, of fact. And you know, he probably, he probably talks about like a golden age of Australia when it was still very much like a, a corner of empire. And he talks. I remember some of the names. One of the names that's in there is Reg Gaznier. Reg Gaznier was sort of his age. Like Reg Gaznier is 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 one of the immortals of, he's one of the original seven immortals of Australian Rugby League and he was just a guy that was playing, you sort of knew that he was good. Um, you probably didn't appreciate, like, is he, is he really that good? And again, like, did Clive James really know him? Like, how often did he play against him? <laughs> but you go, like, he was of the same age. So he talks about that and he talks about a guy who um, was in his school and he was the best swimmer in the school. And he was in like sixth form or whatever the equivalent was. And, you know, he wanted to break the school's record. And then this kid came in in first year and he beat him like five years younger. And Clive James has this brilliant phrase where he see, he looks at this sixth year guy walking out and he goes, he was the healthiest man I'd ever seen limp on both legs. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just there going, that is an incredibly evocative. And the first year guy went on to be an Olympian. I think a gold medalist. And... What brings that to mind was the sight of Joey Carberry going off against Glasgow, absolutely shorn of all confidence. And you just go, the poor fucker. Yeah. Because my problem with Joey was everybody else's coverage of him. It, like, it, it's not Joey. It's, it's the fact that he just seemed to get a free pass from everybody. And now he's not getting a free pass and you go, it's awful. Um, and you, like, you really hope that he can be his confidence can be put back together again. But I I don't know if I can. And again, like that's very difficult for a squad. Not that not that everybody recognizes and acknowledges and talks about it, but you're going like, this guy is our he's our number ten. Like he's our playmaker. He's he's one of the leaders of our team. He's one of our internationals. And like it's not working for him. And everyone kind of knows it. So oh, everyone does know it. It's it's real challenging. And it's like it's real because you like you feel for Joey, you know? Yeah, um, I saw. I saw. And again, it. it's it's another it's it, it's another thing where he's been moved down to Munster. Munster have been gifted the the heir apparent to the Irish number ten jersey, and it hasn't worked out at all. And you're just there going, Jesus, like there's another thing that hasn't really gone to plan. There's been a fly flying around for this entire podcast. <laughs> really irritating. Oh, he's so annoying for fucking four days. All right, good luck. Good night.
to me, I 